Hey everybody, you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, and here on our podcast today, I have with me Jonathan Lehman. Welcome back to the Church Theology Podcast, Jonathan. Thank you, Kirk. Glad to be here. And today we are discussing um, Jonathan's recent book that he co-authored with Colin Hansen. The book is called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is essential. And I know our church received, I think, 20 free copies of this book to hand out. I know other churches did did as well. And uh, our folks in our church really enjoyed it and benefited from it. And so I thought I would ask Jonathan to come on and talk about these matters. Um, if you're not familiar with Jonathan, he is the editorial director for Nine Marks and co-host of their Pastors Talk podcast. He is the author and editor of over a dozen books and teaches at several seminaries. Jonathan lives with his wife and four daughters in a suburb of Washington, D.C., and he is an elder at Chevrolet. I always I always feel like I'm tripping up on that. Chevrolet. Chevrolet. Like Be- Beverly, but C-H, yeah, Chevrolet that, Baptist Church. That Baptist Church right there. So as I mentioned, Jonathan co-authored this book with Colin Hansen. Uh, let me just read a blurb that Nine Marks uh, wrote where they have this book posted on their website just to kind of give the listener here uh, just an intro to what this book is all about. Okay, so Nine Marks says this, quote, Churches are currently facing a host of difficult issues potential shutdowns and restrictions due to COVID-19, political dissension among members, racial division, church abuse scandals, and the list continues. While some attendees have temporarily turned to virtual church services, others are wondering if committing to a local church is worth the trouble. Is it really that important to gather each week? Written for anyone struggling to answer this question, Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman help readers discover why the church is essential. Rediscover Church starts from the ground up, examining topics such as the mission of the church, the importance of preaching and teaching, church membership, church discipline, and how to love members who are different. This book is a timely reminder that the church is more than just a live stream. It is an essential fellowship of God's people furthering God's Mission, And so you can actually download, you can buy the book. You can also download the book for free right now from Nine Marks website, if that's of interest to you. The first question I want to ask you, Jonathan, is what was your impetus for writing the book? What was the need that you saw? Thank you, brother. Uh, Colin and I have been talking about writing a basic primer on the church for years and, you know, one thing or other would push it off. But finally, with all the things going on with the pandemic and the quarantines, as well as all the controversies we've been watching and experiencing through the elections of 2016 and then 2020 and then Black Lives Matter and the protests and, and, and the tumult and controversy that a lot of us felt inside of our churches Colin and I finally said, okay, now's, now's the time to write it. Um, and in, in one sense, we aren't trying to answer all of those questions and, and speak right. just to this moment. Nonetheless, all of that provided the occasion to write a primer on the church and hopefully a primer on the church that answers some of what, why the church is significant when people are tempted not to go. Um, and, and so forth. And, well, why, why not just, you know, you know, catch the, uh, the live stream? Isn't that good enough? And do I really need to join? It's just so much more convenient. And we wanted to hearten slash strengthen believers everywhere 
with something I think we tend to take for granted, and that is our fellowship together as the body of Christ. Yeah. So in many ways, the book um, is, it's not doing anything new. It's a, it's a basic ecclesiology or kind of instruction on the church, the Bible's teaching on the church, but sort of from the vantage point, sort of aware of some of the recent happenings that make uh, the call to the church uh, all that more, not that it wasn't important before, but it makes a call to, to reconsider the church's importance um, all that more relevant, you might say. Right. And, and, and let me, let me just jump in there. If you're listening to this and, and you heard Kirk say, yeah, it's not really doing anything new. Kind of, if you're sitting around with a bunch of theologians and pastors, that's actually a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like an inside joke among, among, among your quote unquote professional, some professional Christians, uh, that is to say pastors and theologians is if you're saying something or doing something new, that may be a bad sign. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And so give me, um, answer that first question for us. I think this is like one of the first chapters in the book. It's just like, what is the church? How would you go about, go about defining the church according to scripture? Well, and in this book in particular, we're talking about the local church, not the universal church, all Christians everywhere, right? From different times and places assembled in heaven. We're talking about the local congregation and the local congregation. I mean, we give a pretty precise definition in, in, in the book itself. And I'm not, I don't have a copy in my hands. I don't remember exactly what I said, but if you just stick with me, basically I, it's the idea of, of an assembled, an assembly of people who have affirmed one another as followers of Christ assembled for purposes of preaching and the ordinances and instruction in, in the following in the way of Christ, right? So you, you have a, a body of people who uh, say to one another, yeah, I, I'm a Jesus follower. Are you a Jesus follower? Yeah, I'm a Jesus follower. Okay, great. I need help following Jesus. Shall we get together once a week and covenant together to oversee one another, help follow Jesus. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's do that. And that, that's essentially what a church is. And we, we use the, the ordinances, baptism and the supper to provide that affirmation formally to affirm one another. And we use the preaching, of course, to both name Christ, to say who Christ is and to teach what it means to follow after Christ. So I think I did that all a lot more concisely in the book, but there's a meandering answer to your question. Yeah. Each of the chapters, you have this visual in the book where it kind of goes through an entire definition of the church and each chapter right. is kind of attached to a different piece of that definition. Point I have it in front of me. Yeah. I can read it. It read says, it, yeah, it. a church People is are a, dying to know <laughs> a church is a group of Christians that's that's chapter two, who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom, chapter three, to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the king, chapter four, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, chapter five, and to display God's own holiness and love, chapter six, through a unified and diverse people, chapter seven, in all of the world, chapter eight, following the teachings and examples of elders, chapter nine. And so those link up to topics uh, like why is preaching important? Why should I join the church membership? Uh, the ordinances, elders, uh, church discipline—that's the holiness one. So you're linking up the definition of the of the church to say, okay, why is the church essential? Let's talk about all the features of that definition. And let me ask you then, if that's a proper understanding of the church, what we call an ecclesiology, a theology of the church, what do you see as some of the competing 
functional ecclesiologies out there, the alternative ways that folks, at least practically speaking, seem to be conceiving of the church. It's funny you asked that question because I, I, I was thinking about interrupting you and answering that question <laughs> before you asked it. I'm like, okay, we, 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 have to, we have to explain what that's set against, right? Go for and, it. And um, um, I think the natural, I mean, there's a number of things it's set against, but let me start here. I, I think the natural proclivity we have, especially as Western Christians, is to view the church as an aid to my personal discipleship. So we kind of pragmatically, yeah, it seems helpful to follow Jesus. So, okay, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll show up and help me in my individual walk with Christ. Uh, it's a good thing to do, so sure, I'll do it. And what we're missing in that is an understanding that part of being a Christian means belonging to an actual family, that our very identity as Christians is an ecclesial, a corporate identity. Think of 1 Peter 2.10. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Okay, just think about those two lines for a second, right? You not. Let me start with the second line. Christians get this much. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Okay, we get that, right? That's the gospel. I was under wrath, but I put my trust in Christ, and now I've received mercy. I'm a Christian. Yay, right? We all get that. Mm-hmm. But notice what Peter parallels it with, the, the previous line. Once you are not a people, now you are a people. In other words, part of becoming a Christian, receiving mercy, means becoming a people. Or let's use the metaphor of adoption. You know, mom and dad go down to the orphanage. They they adopt me. Uh, they bring me home. So now, so now I'm kind of reconciled to them. I'm, I'm united to mom and dad. But now they bring me home. They open the front door. I walk in, and what do I see? Lo and behold, brothers and sisters. I now have brothers and sisters because vertically, mom and dad adopted me. And, and that vertical adoption brings a whole new horizontal dimension as well, right? Mm-hmm. So to, to be adopted means I got a family. You see the exact same thing in Ephesians 2, chapter verses 1 through 10. By grace you have been saved, you've been raised up, seated in the heavenlies, vertical reconciliation. But now you who were far off, verses 11 to 22, have been brought near one new man. So again, the, the vertical reconcilia- reconciliation necessarily brings with it a horizontal reconciliation. In other words, okay, a lot of Bible just to say, friends, to be a Christian is to be a part of a family. Why do you join a church? You join a church, you attend a church because that's what you are, not just because it's good for your discipleship. Right. It is. And, and it's that kind of individualistic view of the Christian life in which I view churches sort of as Oh, hey, listen, I really like my Christian rock bands and they are, I listen, you know, I listen to, uh, you know, Hillsong and that kind of gets me fired up in the music. And I, I listen to Matt Chandler. He's my favorite podcast preacher. He's awesome. And that really encourages me. And I got these few Christian friends and they're help for me. And they, you know, they keep me accountable. And, and as in, in that regard, I just view the Christian life individualistically and consumeristically and pragmatically. And that, that is not what a family is. That is not what a flock is. That is not what the body of Christ is. And so it's, it's really that as much as anything in this particular con. Now, if we were living in Malaysia or, or, or Kenya, some similar problems, but different problems as well. But, but writing mostly to people in the United States. Sure. Uh, that, that really is one of the main things we're fighting against. 
Yeah, I think of the passage too. You mentioned First Peter two: once not a people, now a people. Even going back to chapter one, the link between the gospel and the church, like like you said, that that horizontal reconciliation and that vertical reconciliation, they are there. They should be joined. So even in First Peter yeah. one, before you get to chapter two about being made a new people, Peter talks about how we've been purified. Our souls have been purified by obeying the gospel truth. To a sincere brotherly love. We've been purified by the gospel for what end? For a sincere brotherly love. So we love one another from, uh, earnestly from a pure heart. And so, um, yeah, conceiving, it's an outflow. Our, our participation in the church is an outflow of our conception of the church. Um, and our understanding of what the gospel is doing. It's not just saving us as lone islands, but as a people. And as we like to say at Crossway, um, not only so, but then the local church is the context or the incubator for our discipleship. Um, exactly. So it has that benefit as well. The Christian life is a church-shaped life. Yeah, that's good. And and for that reason, as you just put it, Kirk, yes, our discipleship needs to be incubated in the context of, of this people, this family. Right. Would you say that um, the issues of the last couple of years, so COVID, race tensions, politics, et cetera, would you say that those have fueled the development of bad ecclesiology or merely exposed a bad ecclesiology that already existed under the hood, so to say, for quite some time or both? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Great question. I mean, you know, chicken egg, which uh, I mean, I think both. I think on the one hand has exposed it. On the other hand, I think the wide availability of Zoom church or live stream church has probably made it worse in certain situations. People have realized, hey, oh, you know, I can get what I need. I can get my spiritual fill up, gas tank filled up on Sunday morning by tuning in here, sitting at home on the couch in my pajamas. And this is really convenient. I like it. And uh, and so in some ways, I think it's probably made it worse. But on the whole, something we observed going through the last couple of years is that and I had a lot of pastors testify this to, 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 to us. Churches that were already healthy, that had a vibrant sense of congregational life, where they understood that church is not simply a weekly performance where the talented people, uh, you know, musicians and charismatic speaker on stage give a good show and I'm there for my 60 to 90 minutes and then I go home and forget about the church for the rest of the week. We're, we're where instead people understood that a church is a vibrant family body where, 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 you know, Carl and David's relationship, two members are being responsible for one another is just as critical to the, the functioning of this thing than Carl and David's, you know, dependency on the elders and the pastor and the charismatic sermon. Those congregations we discovered fared really well, uh, through COVID pandemics because a lot of that Life on life work continued ironically, even through quarantine, through right. text messages and phone calls and zoom calls. And, and people are now people regretted not being able to see each other. And there was lamentation of like, Oh, I'm so tired of being here at home. But, uh, you know, still getting together with brothers and sisters, whether electronically or in person as they could, uh, continued. Whereas those churches that were a little bit more consumeristic, and hey, we're in a, v- a weekly event. We put on a good show. Uh, uh, th- those, in many respects, we saw them suffer, um, and or or frankly, just become even more what they were, which is just mm-hmm. a weekly show. 
Uh, and in some cases, even their numbers doing well, uh, or at least their internet numbers. Um, so bottom line, again, to answer your question, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it exposed problems, but I think it also in some ways exacerbated it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it fueled it, you might say. Um, so the question, though, is then why isn't um, you're sort of assuming, and I would agree, that online church, quote unquote, uh, is insufficient. Why so? Or what would you say to the rise? I've seen churches were maybe doing this before, but what would you say to the rise now, increase in churches starting, quote unquote, online campuses, treating their live stream actually as a permanent and on par option with the physical assembly? Yeah, sure. Why, why is it insufficient? A few things. Number one, it's not church. Uh, let's just, you know, be nerds for a second, nerd out for a second. The Greek word ecclesia is simply the word assembly. So an unassembled assembly is not an assembly. Mm-hmm. An unchurching church is not a church. So strictly speaking, according to the New Testament, a live stream internet church is not a church. It's just not. Now it's doing some of the functions of a church, like, like preaching and so forth, but it is not an assembly. I, I, I don't know what else to say. It's, it's not. Um, now I know that'll pick a lot of fights. Uh, it's still, I can still love you as brothers and sisters in Christ if you disagree with me on that one. Nonetheless, I think I'm standing with Jesus and Paul in the entire New Testament there. Uh, number, number two, God made us embodied creatures. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, okay, that's, that, I, first I gave you the lexical conversation. Now let's just have the, the real life conversation. God made us embodied creatures. And, I did not go on a internet dates and an internet honeymoon for a reason. I wanted to be with my wife. We do family dinner tables. You know, we gather as a family around the dinner table because being with my wife and daughters physically embodied makes a difference, right? Um, A lot of things can occur over the internet that are good and we can thank God for them, right? I can get a good information download. I can benefit from the word preached by listening to a podcast preacher, but it's just not the same thing as being there with people in the flesh. So I, I walk into the, the weekly service and I'm feeling kind of down about my week, but then I see, you know, my, my, my brother, John, my Christian brother, John, and he asked me how the week was and I'm kind of sheepish and I don't really want to tell him, but then he pushes in a little bit and he kind of forces me out of myself. And I said, well, yeah, I guess it was a pretty tough week. And I start to share with John and he asks me more. And we end up having a good conversation going to lunch or I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, uh, we're all singing and, and I look across the room and I see, you know, this sister who I know has gone through these trials and I see her singing to God in praise. And my heart is, is strengthened as I see this sister who I know has gone through these trials, you know, s- s- singing, the same songs as praise is me. And, you know, then I, and then I, and then I, and then the preacher's preaching and I feel you know, throughout the week, I've been feeling like, Oh, the stuff on the news has just really got me stressed out. Oh, what's all this stuff happening in our country. And I feel like this is the most important thing in the world. But then I'm sitting there and I'm hearing the preacher preach and I hear people all around me responding and saying, yes, and amen. And I realize, okay, the stuff on the nightly news or on my Twitter feed is actually not the most important thing. Because I'm being heartened, not just by the preacher, but I'm being heartened by the brothers and sisters all around me. We, Jesus put on flesh for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. We are not just spirits. We are not just souls. We are bodies. And so 
God intended us for us to gather together. So first of all, the church means assembly. Second of all, that's what heartens us, getting together in soul and body. And Kirk, I had a third point, and I forgot what it is. It's okay. Who was that politician <laughs> back in the day who said, like, I have so many points and then forgot the points and was lambasted <laughs> yeah. for it? Uh, <laughs> never do that while you're preaching. Never say, I have this many points unless you have them written no, down. That's right. That's right. Um, but, I mean, essentially what you're arguing is it's not just a matter of this this is sort of uh, this moment has demonstrated some bad ecclesiology, but even along with that is that it demonstrates a bad anthropology, a bad understanding of who we yes, are as humans. Well said. No, that's we right. are we are we are embodied people, and I think about the the act of the church gathering together, like it in it in invariably should involve communal acts like the Lord's Supper. It's Well, first of all, that's an embodied act. You can't do the Lord's uh-huh. Supper and baptism virtually. I don't care what someone sure, says. You just right. can't. Again, it's not meant to be that way. It's meant to touch our bodies. Uh, God, God knows what he's doing when he designs it that way. Or I think about when Paul talks about singing to one another songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's not just right. that's, that's not right. an that's isolated right. event, but there's actually meant to be something communal that my voice encourages another and vice versa, and we're teaching each other. When we sing, I look around. Right. Yeah, me too. Because of what you just said. Right. And I, I encourage I encourage other people to do the same. Yeah. And I, I, I've encouraged people to do that even in the Lord's Supper. Sometimes people make that a very privatized thing. But I've like there's the something thing. and there's something really encouraging to looking around because even Paul, he, he makes that he talks about in first Corinthians about how it's a communal event. Like, do we not all take of the of the one bread in one cup? And so there's meant to be or we all have one baptism, Ephesians four. So there's something right. even communal in the ordinances or like our church, we recite the Apostles Creed or things like that. And that's not just I mean, sure, that's something that we could do on our own individually. And that not that there would wouldn't be benefit to that, but there's something really encouraging about doing that together that That's stirs right. up our faith. Let me let me let, let, let me put this point on it, and I've, I've said this to my own congregation: not gathering with the church is bad for you spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I understand that there's there's providential hindrances at times. You yeah. can't go. Maybe you're sick. You can't go. Okay, yeah. then, then then don't go and have a clean conscience about it. You're sick. Fine. Uh, you know, may, maybe there's a quarantine shutdown for a few weeks or for a month or something and you can't go. Okay. We, we trust Provident. Sometimes the Lord hinders us from doing the things that we know are good for us. But at the same time, recognize, friend, that not going to church is bad for you spiritually. It hurts your discipleship in the same way that if you're sick and you can't go to work, it's bad for your job. You know that. And so you're sick and you work through it, but but eventually you try to get back to your job. And in the same way, I would say uh, you should not be, if you're content not gathering with the saints, if you're content with live stream, there's something, you're missing something. And I, I want to I leave that little rock in your shoe, not to make you feel guilty, but just to... Unless unless you're being deliberate about it, then I want you to feel guilty. But 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 if if you're hindered for some reason uh, from gathering with the saints, I don't want you to be fully satisfied about that. I, I want you to aspire, Lord willing, to to be gathered with them again, and 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 if you're able to be doing that every week. Yeah.
Uh, one question I think that you guys do answer the book is like, what would you say to someone who says they don't need to attend church because they can just as easily find good Christian teaching online? In fact, I might argue you might find better teaching online. Um, like no one's necessarily denying that in terms of just the quality on its own terms. But one of the things that you say is praise God that we can download, quote unquote, biblical truths virtually. But let's also praise God that the Christian life is more than just an information transfer. When church is only online, we can't feel, experience, and witness those truths becoming enfleshed in the family of God, which both fortifies our faith and creates cords of love between brothers and sisters. Virtual church is an oxymoron. The Christian life and the church life cannot finally be downloaded. It must be watched, heard, steeped in, and followed. Let me give you a little story to that maybe will help connect or make the point. Sometimes I, I can, I recall the elders would be sitting there and somebody would bring a case before the elders, like some sort of marriage, you know, tough marriage situation. And, you know, I, I can think of times elders would respond maybe a little severely like, well, they should just know that. And don't they realize that? And, you know, do we need to move to discipline over this? And, uh, and almost 10 times out of 10, when we send an elder to go talk to that couple then, and then that elder actually spends time with the couple and hears them and, and you know has a meal with them and they work through things, that elder will come back and typically be one of the more compassionate, patience-recommending elders. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, listen, I, I, I know it looks that way, but if, if, if you kind of you know, got involved and heard the both sides. You, you'd understand that blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like the elder comes back from spending time with the couple or the person or whatever it is with a three dimensional view that sitting there and just hearing about what their problem was, you kind of only got a two dimensional view of it. And I, th- I think we, we, we all know what it's like to, if, if, you know, maybe it's a friend or a colleague at work. And you've not seen them for a little while and maybe suspicion starts to build up or cynicism towards that person or even bitterness starts to build up in your heart towards that person. And then you go have lunch with them or you go spend some time with them and you talk through things or maybe you even don't. You just spend time with them and somehow your heart softens. Mm -hmm. Somehow you find yourself trusting them a little bit more. See, here's 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 the underlying principle. Trust can only grow typically in Christian life when there's personal presence and when there's separation from people, trust tends to get spent down, right? Yeah. And if, if, if you're not spending time with and hearing from your pastor, you're just going to trust them less. Here's another general principle to keep in mind. Trust is often the conduit of instruction and nourishment. If I trust you, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to have grace on you. I'm going to receive forgiveness and correction and rebuke from you. If I don't trust you, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to receive rebuke or correction or encouragement from you, right? Trust is a huge conduit of uh, the gracious, life-giving instruction between Christians. And again, what builds trust? Personal presence. And distance tends to erode it. So to that person who's not regularly gathering with the church, you're hurting yourself spiritually, probably in ways you don't even quite recognize because it's often slow. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, too, is uh, 
closeness fosters trust and seeking to understand each other, giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Distance uh, can breed suspicion. We kind of get in our own heads. What's interesting is that social media in some ways maybe exacerbates because it's presence without closeness. Or I don't know if the yeah, best well way said. to put that. It's it's interaction without closeness. Well, it's 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 the it's the uh, simulacrum of presence. It's 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 sort of fake. The presence. facade. It's not yeah. real. It's not real presence. Right. You, you know, I'm not watching your body language. I'm not seeing your eyebrows rise or lower. I'm not I'm not seeing the smirk on you in the corner of your lips. You know, you're like oh, okay, he he he. That sounded severe, but he kind of said it as a joke. I get it. You know, and and I think quite a bit gets lost in that. So yeah, yeah, you're right. I think it can exacerbate. Now look, we we all know how presents can hurt trust too. I spend <laughs> yeah. some time with you, and you you annoy me or whatever. So yes, that obviously happens in the other way too. And sometimes not being around people actually can help, right? Yeah. Uh, but as a general principle, as a general rule, um, we we need to be with one another to truly communicate and understand one another as well as to build uh, the bonds of trust and affection and and love but i'm thinking specifically too about how some of the issues over the last year that we've mentioned can social media can ex- exacerbate those the relationship people have with one another because there's a sense of interaction without that closeness not only is it a matter of like it's a medium that's apt to be where people are apt to misunderstand. They can't read body language, tone, and all that. But there's also a dehumanizing effect to social media. You're not actually interacting with someone flesh and blood, but just a profile picture. You can forget the humanity of the other person. And so it's just yeah. like in I think of times where we're, you know, I, I can't, I'm saying this sarcastically. Like I can't wait till the next presidential election when everyone's tensions rise again because we're interacting online we're not actually i one of my biggest encouragements to people in my church during those seasons when there is tension rising between members is like grab a cup of coffee and talk to a person flesh and blood and and work these things out you'll 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 probably realize that they're much more reasonable than you thought and that your differences are a lot smaller than you expected well and and even if you get to the end of the conversation and you still disagree with them as much as you did at the beginning you still realize they're a human they're they're, they're more than just their opinion on that thing over which you disagree and therefore you're going to be inclined to be a little bit more gracious a little bit more kind even if you disagree as much walking out as you did walking in totally yeah so you in your chapter on elders um you have a quote where you say in terms of kind of this idea of building trust you talk about elders you say if i believe you live with integrity love me and have my best interests in mind it will be easier for me to receive your words of instruction or correction even the tough stuff and i think about a quote that gets attributed to richard baxter i don't know if he actually said this but i've seen it attributed to him um he supposedly said if people can see you love them you can say anything to them there's that trust that and that's why we need to be embodied together so we have that built trust to be able to speak to another you continue uh later on in that chapter find a church where you can trust the pastors enough that you'll allow them to challenge you when necessary don't just look for a church that will confirm everything you already know yeah so, so often in the tough conversations, whether with my wife or my kids or a church member or a, a, a brother who I'm, I'm having to challenge, um, something I'll often say is, now, you know, brother, remember, I'm on your team. Mm-hmm. I am for you. I love you, right? And I'll, I'll say that to my wife if we're having a, a tough conversation. Sweetheart, 
you know, I'm on your team. I am so for you right here. You know, maybe we're disagreeing over how to deal with the kids and maybe it gets a little heated between us. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that's just, I think that's a huge thing, uh, for people to understand, not just to know you love them, but to feel loved. You cannot do that over email or social media, you know, right. you, you can, you have a better chance of doing that in person. Let me ask you another question. Um, Colin Hansen has a chapter, uh, your other author, the other author, uh, on how I love, how we can love members who are different um, uh-huh. or like a church that's unified among a diverse people. So what would you say to someone who struggles with fellowshipping, um, having fellowship with others in their church who seem to have such dramatically different views from them on race, COVID, politics, or anything else, or, or someone who's even struggling to keep their faith when the church seems so troubled during this time with issues. I think about the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which kind of blew up, or there's other, it just seems like this last year, there's been a lot of material and things being written mm-hmm. where it can kind of, um, or even my wife, she, uh, she, uh, her, her, she went to a Christian school growing up and there's been some stuff that has come out recently about how there was a lot of problems going on in the school. And it can kind of give the sense that, you know, maybe the well is poisoned, like what's going on in evangelicalism. So I guess that's sort of a twofold question and a very big one. But what would you say to someone who's struggling with the fact that other people in their church just seem so diametrically opposed in their views and they're, they're just kind of, their faith is being shaken by some of the things they see within evangelicalism? Well, there's the, the, uh, yeah, great question. Huge question. Um, two, two, two basic issues there. One questions of disagreement Two questions of abuse and or disqualification, disqualifying sin. Right. Right. Yep. And th- those, those are separate things. Let me, let me kind of at least start with the first. I don't know if you want to pursue the second, but just say the, the, the first thing you asked was about disagreement. Um, I mean, there are some things that we're going to disagree on culturally or politically that, um, probably should be fellowship breaking. If you think that abortion is okay, you know you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna kind of promote the abortion industry somehow in this in this country. Then then I can understand. Or let, let me pick an issue on the left: racism. Um, uh, something that's going to involve you in unrepentant sin of abortion or racism. I can understand why that that could finally prove to be fellowship breaking, right? Right. Um, at least as, as a general principle. Now, if you get down to the, the tougher question of tactics of opposing abortion or tactics of voting racism, that's that's a little that's a little trickier. Um, but on so many of the issues that we find ourselves diametrically opposed, or, or if you're if you're pro LGBT, right? I. Uh, I I I I I think that that's a hard thing. And finally, a kind of a litmus test thing for for Christians that either either you know Paul did say those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, or he didn't say that. And I, I do think to be members of a church, we we're, we're going to have to agree uh, on our posture, say on LGBT. Okay, now having said that, most political issues don't fall into that bucket. And when I've written about and talked about these things, a, we, you know, I'd make a distinction between what you call whole church issues and Christian freedom issues. You could call them straight line issues or jagged line issues. A whole church or a straight line issue is an issue 
that to be members of this church, you have to agree on this. To come to the Lord's table, you have to agree that racism is wrong, that abortion is wrong, that 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 you you cannot live with another man if you're a man married, right, or you know in in, in, a, in, a, in a gay relationship. That that's a whole church issue. If 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 you are an abortion doctor, we will excommunicate you. If you are a member of the Ku Klux Klan, we will excommunicate you. If 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 you are pursuing unrepentant sin, we will excommunicate you. Right? It's a whole church. You got to agree on this issue. On the other side, you have um, um, what I as I say the jagged line or Christian freedom issues, um, where it is not a condition like. It's not going to be in the statement of faith. We, you might have strong convictions on it. Nonetheless, you realize church Christians should be able to disagree. Do we eat meat sacrificed to idols or not? Well, you might have a really strong opinion, but it, it should not be a, a something that keeps somebody from the Lord's table in your opinion on meat sacrificed to idols. Okay. Well, in the same way, let, let me, let me, let me pick a hot issue of today. Rep, rep, reparations. You might disagree with me. You might think your stance on reparations for, for, for slavery is something that you want to make a condition of the Lord's table. I personally do not. I do not think your position on reparations should be a condition of coming to the Lord's table. Um, now, I have an opinion on it. I have a conviction on it. But I I, I think I'm going to leave that in the Christian freedom bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... That's a lot of background to your question, Kirk, and maybe I've offended half the <laughs> listeners. Uh, but but to take out the issues I've used and pick other issues. Here's here's the bigger principle. Uh, you need to figure out um, is the thing that I have an opinion on really something that I'm going to make a condition of church membership and admission to the Lord's table and. Or is this something that I'm really going to excommunicate over? Like, do we want to be the first Baptist church of racial reparations? Like, unless you agree with me on for or against racial reparations, you can't be a member here. Like, are you sure you want to raise it it to that level? And I think recognizing that you really do have these sort of two buckets whole church issues and Christian freedom issues, I hope will help lower the temperature of some of these conversations. Now, if you really think it rises to the level that you're going to not admit people or remove people over this, well, then you need to make sure you're in accord with your elders and maybe have a members meeting about it and, 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 and be explicit and clear. And if you disagree with anything I've said in the last 10 minutes, then fine. But, but, but you need to have that congregation conversation with your church as well. What you don't want to do is continue to be a thorn in the side of the whole church because, man, you're convinced on this, but the elders are not or the church is not. It's fine for you to say, listen, I'm really strongly convicted about my view on health care, my view on immigration, my view on racial reparations. Can, can I talk to you and explain to you why I think I'm right this way or that way? That's fine. Let's do that. Let's have mature, godly conversations where we disagree with one another. Part, part, of, the, part of the challenge here, Kirk, is that Christians, immature Christians, don't know how to disagree. Mature Christians know how to look at the same data and recognize that other people will look at the same data and come to different conclusions. Mm-hmm. Like a mature Christian can do that. A mature Christian knows how to disagree with people. And I, I, I fear 
we've been social media cultivates a lot of, of, of immaturity, right? Where people just don't know how to disagree with one another. Oh, okay. All that to say, um, the, these, these points of, of disagreement are, are, are terribly difficult and I'm not trying to say, oh, it's all morally relative. It's not. These are, these are, these are significant issues. You know, some of the things I've mentioned, nonetheless, we need to, we need to recognize there's a difference between an important issue and a, a an issue that is uh, a nece- necessary for church membership and admission to the Lord's table. Number one. Number two, we need to learn how to disagree with one another more maturely, more graciously, more in the ability to give one another the benefit of the doubt. Okay, that that's my lecture, man. You want to? <laughs> I'm happy for you to disagree with me or push back on me or no. We I, I agree. I agree with you. And we actually, you may not remember this, but the first time you were on the podcast, we actually talked about this stuff more in depth. So I was going to point the reader in that direction too. <laughs> is uh, or the listener if you if you go onto my blog kirkmillerblog.com and you search Jonathan Lehman politics, you'll find. Uh, conversation we had. So I've given that whole lecture before here. I'm Probably sorry. no, but that's okay. It's <laughs> it's good to rehash because honestly, I I do think part of the reason you're writing this book is because there are a lot of people. I know I've had lots of conversations with people in the church or people who have who have sort of stepped out of church attendance or or their I don't know whatever their case may be. People are struggling with the idea of belonging to and participating in a church. They're wrestling with. Uh, there's a lot of heated issues and it's not to say those issues don't matter. Like people have really strong, some people feel like with COVID they need to resist uh, a government that they fear is overstepping its bounds. And other people fear that uh, folks are disregarding legitimate medical concerns and not caring for their neighbors. And I mean, those are legitimate concerns to be had. Should they, should they be uh, like if assuming that those things are right, they would be legitimate concerns. Um, we don't want a government yeah. that's tyrannical. We don't want to neglect no, people's right. medical. Like so, it's not to say that or race. You know, some people feel like uh, some of the concern about race in our country is getting overblown. Other people feel like those Christians are being apathetic and um, uh, neglecting responsibility to do something about it. Or you know, we could go on and on. We hold these positions. You and Nacelli wrote a book about how to disagree with Christians over politics, which is a bit what we talked about last time. We hold, we understandably, you are, you argue, we understandably hold these positions strongly because they have to do with matters of justice. Um, but it's just important to recognize on the one hand, some of it is, um, I'm going to use a fancy word, but some of it is an epistemological reality. Just recognizing what I mean by that is recognizing a sense of humility that our judgments may be wrong. Um, just to say like, I'm going to hold, I may be, I may hold this position, but I'm going to give other people grace because it's not, as you say, a straight line issue. It's more of a jagged line issue. I have to kind of connect some dots in order to get to my conclusion. I have to interpret some data. It's not just jumping off of the page of scripture, authoritatively saying, this is how I should think about COVID, or this is how I should vote in an election or something like that. And so to kind of just temper the conversation, tone it down. Um, but understand well, and it's and it's and it's not just it's it, it's what you said. It's an epistemological matter, but I would also say it's a matter of priority. Like I just want to say, the kingdom of God is more important than the United States of America. Right. And and uh, even even if you you know it's I don't want to say to somebody, hey, you could be wrong. I don't want, just want to say you could be wrong. It's true, you you could be wrong, but it's all you might be right. You might be right in your views of all of the political landscape. But you know what, the kingdom of God is more important than the political landscape. Right. The 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 church the, the gates of hell will not prevail against 
America? No, no, <laughs> they will. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yeah. So it's just in the final analysis, it's a matter of priority here. Yeah. And I, I, I want brothers and sisters in Christ who love America and who know a lot about politics and might even be right in their politics to be able to also say, but it's not as important as the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. And even if my brother here is, you know, making judgments that I think are bad for America, I I hope you can still love that brother because you understand that you are united in the gospel and in the kingdom. So at the end of the day, how much did Paul spend talking about Rome and Caesar? He just didn't spend that much time. I and mean, he could have, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think we see a little bit of Paul's priorities and the apostles and generals' priorities and what they chose to spend time talking about and what they didn't spend time talking about. I'm happy with Christians getting involved in politics and talking about whatever they want to talk about. Fine. But when it comes to our commitments and priorities, they should reflect the New Testaments. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing I was going to say, so what you're what you're adding in is the priorities of even if let's say let's grant let's say I am right on these things, I still have there's bigger issues that I have more in common with my fellow members that I need to hold higher. And the other thing, so on the one hand, there's humility, but the other thing I was going to add too is we should expect the church like so a lot of people i'm talking to in my own church and others they wrestle through the fact that there's people in their church who hold such different views that they find troubling and i might even agree with them that i think the views that they're concerned about are concerning um but I, one of the things i like to say is but you should also expect your church to be a place where people bring in concerning views and bring in immature thoughts um because the church is you want a church that is is redeeming people from different walks of life um different stages of christian growth um where if everyone kind of agreed on on the uh, had all the same views like what does that say about your church's uh gospel reach and are you are you is, is the church reaching not only mature believers but immature believers and so we should expect there to be differences for a variety of reasons not just uh, yes. different walks of life that people are being saved within, um, but also just different levels of maturity. Like there, there may be someone who does not think as Christianly about an issue yet, and we want to be a church where they can grow. And so we don't necessarily want to be purists and, and sort of stiff arm everybody who's different than us. To put it another way, a, a healthy church is not a church where everybody's mature and everybody agrees. Rather, a healthy church, I think more often than not, is where People are at varying levels of maturity, and where there is disagreement, nonetheless, they're holding on to one another in the gospel, and the gospel is what unifies them, and not all of their opinions on whether or not Caesar is good or Caesar is bad, or, you know, we should rebel against Caesar or not rebel against Caesar, you know, Matthew versus Simon the Zealot, right? Rather, what unifies us is the gospel amidst our disagreements. I think that is actually uh, a, a, a better sign of a, of a healthy church. Colin Hansen, your co-author, says in the chapter on loving members who are different, he says it might seem easier to look for a church where everyone thinks, votes, and sins the same way the same way you do. It's better for your spiritual growth, however, to hunker down in a fellowship of difference. You yeah, difference TS that is different people. You want to find a church that grabs this world's attention? Well, find a church that looks like the world to come. Good job, Colin. Yeah, and I mentioned before about sort of this issue of is there poison in the well? Just well, I'll just say every every faithful Christian should utterly be, and certainly every faithful church leader should be utterly about opposing 
uh, abuse. And in, in, in fact, I've often heard Mark say, Mark Dever say, um, uh, I think abuse of authority is is a particularly heinous sin. Yeah. Uh, because it so lies about God and his use of authority. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you raising that. And uh, that would be maybe on another day. Yeah, uh, that would be a, a good thing to, to talk about, think about and unpack. Yeah. And those are uh, the reason I raise them is because I think in a lot of people's minds, they do. The two questions I raise kind of get mushed together where they just think of political disagreement. Yeah, and just abuse. like issues yeah, within evangelical church, just in general. They, they're not necessarily making the distinction I did between like disagreeable matter matters and then potential areas of abuse. But I also think of like Tim Keller has said, well, like um, we should, we're not necessarily looking for the church to be um, a place where you have a bunch of people who are better than the rest of the world. The gospel saves, like Jesus said, I came to save. Um, I, I came to bring healing to those who are sick, not to the righteous. Uh-huh. And so we expect uh-huh. the church to have a lot of problems and a lot of warts. Even I was thinking about in Acts 20, when Paul was talking about the, talking to the elders from Ephesus and Miletus, he talks about how, how there will be false teachers, wolves who arise from among them. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. it's in other words, it's not, it's not good, obviously that problems arise within the evangelical church, but the new Testament actually predicts it. And so in some ways it already gives us a paradigm for those things where we should find it troubling. And by all means, we should, we should condemn it when it exists, but it shouldn't be earth uh, shattering or even Augustine. He talks about a quote that's been helpful for me when I even feel bothered by these things. He says, uh, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. And so the church is a whore in, in her behavior at Boy, times. That's yeah, right. Uh, but it, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a way where it's saying the church has a lot of problems for sure, but she's also mm-hmm. the bride of Christ and she's in the process of being transformed. And let's not have an over-realized eschatology where we expect the church to be fully cleaned up. Um, obviously not condemn, not condoning or excusing the sin. Um, but understanding that Christ is in the work of saving a very, wretched uh a wretched bride that he's going to make beautiful yeah let me just close with uh these two questions then um what would you say jonathan to the person let's say you're in a coffee shop and 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 you meet someone who has stepped away from the church during these last couple of years maybe due to disillusionment or laziness what would you say to them to encourage them I think the first thing I would do is just ask questions and try to understand why that was the case and, and do what I can to empathize. Uh, I assume there's probably some uh, hurt there or it, it may have been that the person's gone, been, were in an unfaithful church. Maybe the pastor was a jerk. Maybe, maybe, um, you know, maybe they were lied to by, by an elder. Maybe, uh, maybe the church, uh, was more interested in growing numbers than it was in in actually shepherding herding sheep. And a person went through a really tough time in their life, and they were just kind of blown off by the pastors. So, you know, I mean, too often that sort of stuff happens. Uh, I think sometimes people leave a church for bad reasons. I think sometimes people leave a church because the church or the leaders have, have, have not been faithful in some form or fashion. So the first thing I, I want to do is, is hear why and understand that so I can respond sensitively and pastorally. But, but look, okay, let's suppose that it's just immaturity or ignorance and they don't have a good reason to be gone. What would I say? I think I'd start by saying, Oh, friend, uh, you know, let me, uh, gosh, I've, you know, I feel like you're, you're, I hate to see you miss out on on the richness mm. and the goodness mm-hmm. that the Lord, the joy 
that the Lord has for you in the church. And, you know, let me, let me, let me say this. It's not just the, the, the good, happy, easy things in the church that are good for us. In fact, it's, it's, it's often the hard, tough things that are good for us. So the, the fact that that lady kind of, when you showed up, uh, for nursery to, to serve in the nursery and, and she chewed you out because, you know, you, 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 you got, mud on the carpet and now the little babies are crawling around and or, or or because you showed up a little late and she chewed you out and she was sort of sinfully accosts you over over that okay the fact that she does that is god's way of giving you the opportunity to practice forgiveness and god actually means to grow you through her sin and i can understand the instinct to sort of just avoid all of the difficulty and all the challenges that come with being a member of the church. Uh, but actually, it's not just the easy, good things, but it's the bad, hard things that God means to use to grow us. Uh, think about Jesus' words in John 13, verse 34 and 35. By this they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Okay, how did he love us? He loved us forgivingly. He loved us in our sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. And this is love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, right? Okay. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. So he loved me forgivingly. I need to love others forgivingly. And as I do this, they will know you are my disciples. Friend, don't you realize that your evangelistic ministry depends on your loving other Christians forgivingly, long-sufferingly, forbearingly, even as Christ has loved you. So both your growth is dependent on it, but also your evangelistic witness is dependent on it. Not just the good things, but also the bad things. Mm-hmm. So to this a friend in the coffee shop. I don't know if I would quite get through that long of a lecture. <laughs> Nonetheless, that's 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 what I want to, in some form or fashion, communicate. Yeah, depends on if you're oh, drinking uh, caffeinated or decaf, I guess. <laughs> that's right. How hopped up I am. So let me ask you a follow-up question. What would you say to not the person in the coffee shop now, but the person who's in the pew with you, who's maybe growing um, increasingly discouraged or losing endurance. They want to stay committed to the church, and so far they have been, but they're struggling with that. What would you say to encourage them? Again, I'm, I'm going to start probably with, with empathy. Like, help me understand why are you feeling that way, or sympathy at least. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably, insofar as they point out true frustrations, I, I want to affirm those frustrations of in so far as I can without slandering or gossip or something like that. Um, I think so often when people feel discouraged, they're, they're discouraged about the right things. And I think it's okay and, and right to say, mm-hmm. yeah, God doesn't like that either. Right. The fact, the fact that, you know, the fact that this person failed you in the way you say in so far as that's true. Yeah. I, I understand why you're upset about that. Um, obviously you have to be really careful when you start agreeing with other people. If, if it involves somebody else's sin, cause you don't want to go to gossip or slander. Nonetheless, you do, you do what you can to sympathize. But I, but I think, but then I think I want to turn around and just, and thank them though, for the sacrifice that they have been making, uh, of being there 
thank them for for sharing with me and and making themselves vulnerable with me. I want to I want to thank them for any acts of service that I've seen them engage in. I want to affirm any words of or any 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 encouragement that I've seen them be in the lives of others. Um, so I I really do want to uh, uh, not just correct and teach. I'll get there or I'll do that, but I also don't want to affirm and encourage the good that I've seen, fan those flames. Mm-hmm. And then um, if, if I think there needs to be any instruction, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that too. Sort of along the lines of what I've, I've already said about John 13 or, or maybe first Corinthians uh, 14 and our mutual dependence on one another, and First Corinthians twelve, rather, uh, our mutual dependence on one another, different parts of the body, and how, um, how even even amidst the suffering and the weakness and the strength and the honor of some and others, we all need one another, right? And and brother, sister, I need I need you. Um, I, I've I've you know I've, I've said this to, to people even recently. Uh, I'll remind them of how I need them, and they're and the particular gifts that they bring to the body of Christ, right? Um, and, and their absence um, um, is going to affect all of us. Now, at the same time, I, I think it's okay to say, hey, listen, if, if, if you need to join another church because you find yourself just not trusting the leaders here or, I don't know, you, you know, you're free to do that. And, and sometimes people need, need to move on from one church to another. This is not a marital covenant. It is a covenant, but it's not a marital covenant. You, you can go to other churches. And so I, I do want to leave some flexibility for people to leave from one church and go to another. Nonetheless, insofar as you are here, uh, I'm going to talk about my dependence on you and, and your dependence on the whole body. So Yeah, that's good. So one of the takeaways I'm getting here is, and you'd get this, uh, or the listener would get this if they read your book, is you're, you and Colin are not arguing, hey, Let's all rediscover church because I think you, um, I think any sort of difficulty you've had with it, well, that's just pretend, you know, everything's perfect over here. The grass is greener. Come back. Everything's easy and there's no difficulty whatsoever. Like that is like part of the church is that it is, it is sometimes hard and we're rubbing shoulders with, with other sheep who don't always smell great and sometimes bite us and we bite back and it's, it can be rough, but it's worth it. And actually God's, uh, beauty is uh, displayed in 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 those relationships as well, um, and so I I agree with you. If I was talking to these individuals, my one of my main things would want to be to hold out the beauty of the church of what's available to us, not sort of downplaying the difficulty that's there. It's a it's a tough calling, but it's a calling that's worth it. And to hold out the promise of church membership, the benefit and the grace that God offers us by being a part of a local church. And that he means the difficulties for our good. Right. I remember. I remember the first year of marriage. Uh, you know, my my wife and I discovered, wow, we're different in all these ways we didn't even realize when we were dating and engaged. And some of these 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 adjustments to marriage are kind of hard. But, but I remember because of the good you know premarital counseling I'd received and the good instruction I'd received from from various pastors that uh, God didn't just intend the the delights joys of marriage for our good. He also intended us to learn the gospel more deeply 
and to root ourselves more in the promises of the gospel and our gospel purposes and my life and my wife's life. Because of that, he meant the difficulties of our differences, the difficulties of marriage, just as purposely Mm -hmm. and just as much for our good as he meant the joys and and the, 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 the delightful, easy parts of marriage. And I want to say the exact same thing to, to the member in the coffee shop who's not coming or the person sitting in the pews who is coming but is doubting about it. God doesn't just mean the good. He actually means the bad, too, for your good, right? Yeah. All things work together for good for those who are called according to love him and called according to his purpose. And when I remember discovering that in my first year of marriage or feeling that and kind of coaching myself through that and being coached through that, it it, it, it gives you a freedom and a lightness and a joy like, okay, things don't have to be perfect. That's okay. That's actually part of the plan. Right. I don't need to stress out about the fact that things aren't perfect or that this person failed me. I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. I can get through this. Right. God has my good, best interest at heart. You know, back to our earlier conversation, Kirk, about do you trust the person? You're only going to hear the person you trust. Well, do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord means for your good, even in the difficult things in a church? I think that's crucial for us to be able to hobble on together as imperfect sinners on our way to heaven. Yeah. And it should come as no surprise when the gospel itself demonstrates this pattern of cruciformity, the cross to glory. And so we share in that pattern of our Savior, uh, of of dying to self and experiencing the suffering of this life on the pathway, like God using suffering not and, and difficulties not merely as an accident in his plan or not as an accident in his yeah. plan but actually a purpose and so Jonathan I thank you for uh, coming on the podcast and if uh, again um, if you have not picked up that book rediscover church why I think the subtitle is why the church is or why the body of Christ is essential that's what we've been talking about here you can get that book for free on uh, the nine marks website otherwise you can pick up a physical copy or it's probably available I think it's available for Kindle and on audible and things like that but again thank you Jonathan uh, for coming on the podcast and we pray that this conversation uh, blesses the listeners for the sake of the building up of the church and the glory of Christ thank you Kurt great to be with you